Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Daniel Stevenson on the phone again. Daniel, I guess you're becoming a uh, a repeat guest here. You've been on a couple times with us this spring already, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I have, and I appreciate you guys having me. It's always good to talk to you. So Daniel and I were on the phone yesterday comparing notes on phone calls and questions, talking about ryegrass, and we just decided, hey, we just won't we just get together tomorrow and record this thing. We've talked about ryegrass when Daniel was on probably like a month ago, Tom. I, I think that's right. Yeah, it's been several. It, it runs together. Right. And then Tom and I talked about ryegrass in part of a podcast, which would be, I guess, two weeks ago. There's more information to cover, and it's been the been the big question. You know, ryegrass and, and henbit, aside from the weather, are the big stories in, in my world right now. I, I don't think we should be surprised. Driving up and down the road, as we all do, I, I get all sorts of questions, and that I'll do my darndest to wrangle the weed scientists this morning on some of these things. But, Daniel, you are obviously running across some situations in Louisiana. Hold on. I didn't ask Daniel my question yet. You're right. Daniel, before we wade off into the the ryegrass issue, I want to know, would you rather walk around blindfolded for a week or walk around with your right hand tied to your belt for a week? Right hand tied to my belt. Okay. So you think you can function with your left hand? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't care to elaborate? Well, I mean, if if I can't see what I'm doing, even though I've got two hands, I'm at, my hands would then be at significant danger of being injured in some way, shape, or form. But if I'm at least able to see, then... I can um, put some thoughts and some strategies in how to accomplish the task in front of me with my Left hand. non-dominant hand. Weaker hand. Were you terrified for a second when I said, would you rather? I mean, were you scared of what was going to come out of my mouth? When, when, when you said, would you? Yeah, now. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there's, uh, we, got, we got a buddy in Tennessee who's probably giggling right now thinking of something he could say. <laughs> Good times driving across Arkansas saying, would you rather? <laughs> well, oh, boy. Yeah. So maybe some late nights. Yeah, Tom, it is an old boy. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Good time. Daniel, tell us what you had on your mind for ryegrass, and Tom's got some notes. Tell folks what was on your mind, and we'll start it that way. The number one phone call that I've had over the last two to, two to three weeks is, is ryegrass. What are we going to do with this ryegrass, right? And a lot of folks are acting, and I understand why they're doing this, they're acting as if this is the first time they, they've ever had this this problem. I don't believe that necessarily to, to be true, but it's the first time they've had it to this this magnitude. Just to be completely frank, it's, it's kicking people's hiney. Tom, can we say hiney on the podcast? Uh, we're a go with hiney. <laughs> That's family friendly. So... It's always been here, and it's just it's it's, it's just spreading. Here in Louisiana, we have been supporting and, and, and endorsing, supporting, disseminating, however you want to say it, the program that, that Mississippi State 
did the research on what, 15 years or so ago, Jason, maybe 12 to 10 to 15 years ago, and really, really pushing it. And we get a lot of pushback that uh, they don't want to do something in the fall. A, they don't have the money. B, they don't have erosion. Generally, it's erosion first and money second will be the excuses that I will hear. And they want to step into the next use Clefton, which in y'all's program, that's that's the January time when the ryegrass is small, which if you look at the labels of Clefton or if you look at the label of Assure, which we'll touch on Assure in a little bit, both of those, was Jason, six inches or less? Not tillered, is that correct? Two to six inches is what they say. Two to six inches. The way that we've done it here is we're tank mixing it with our burn down in February. And the ryegrass is begun to tiller, it's getting some size on it. When we tank mix it with something of an oxen material, we get some antagonism. Don't have the dose high enough in the first place, even if it was six inches. So lethal doses and it's spreading on us. And then we do some tillage. We, we Almost every acre in Louisiana is plowed in some way, shape, or form. Very little no-till. So it's exploding. And it's just it's wearing people out. And it's wearing people out in the areas that I've not received a lot of phone calls about it before. Guys are getting, I don't want to say desperate, but they, they, they are. they got to get it under control. So they're using... Clethenam, because I can't fly Clethenam, they're using a sure. Had some, you know, some good rates, the proper rate for small ryegrass, and then they're not killing it. And they don't understand why. They put both of those products in a situation to where their their failure is more than likely. And then they want to know what to do. And then it's, you know, it's the Gramoxone. It's the third phase. I talk about y'all's program as, as best in the fall. Yeah, okay, we need to do this. We need to get in control in the, in the spring, in the winter, to with the Clethenam. And then the Gramoxone is that, oh, crap, I didn't do anything. Now i got to try to salvage something. That's the way I kind of describe y'all's program to our growers. And we consistently stay in that, oh, crap, i got to do something phase. It is just fostered an explosion of ryegrass. This year, it's the major issue that I'm getting phone calls about. So that's where I'm at. Because I'm sitting there, guys wanting answers to questions of how to kill something that I don't have an answer. And if corn has emerged in that situation, maybe something with Nicosulfuron to work, but more than likely it's resistant to ALS, so really there's not an answer. And it's, it's just so disheartening to for, for me to not be able to help these guys. And I just, I wanted, and I hope from this podcast that these guys will remember, remember what they're going through right now and implement what y'all's research has shown to do to best manage this pest. And that's what the fall application of residual herbicide. Daniel, back back up just a second, and I don't want to beat the dead horse because, as Jason indicated, we've talked a good bit this season about ryegrass and ryegrass control, and I would think, from where I sit as a scientist, that the bulk of the reason that ryegrass looks to maybe have exploded this year in some instances 
is likely related to what the temperatures were in December and how that has impacted things because it's compounded on itself. And then you add in probably the fact that we're a little bit delayed in planting in some particular scenarios. Talk a little bit about how that size factors in to really capturing the management strategy because that is super important from a standpoint of herbicide label and when you really need to focus on that particular application timing because those products are intended to work within that particular size regime on that specific plant. Taking that, that, that line of thinking, um, rather than ryegrass being six inches in January, that ryegrass is more than likely six inches in December. Or November. Yeah, or November. Or November. So that even more supports the use of a residual herbicide in October, you know, the Halloween kind of timing. You're doing something, taking it out at that point with a residual. So, yeah, it may not have been a, a January timing from from the Cliff and M standpoint. Yes, the, the weather absolutely impacted, but the weather is going to change every year. None of us know what it's going to be. I mean, we even a meteorologist is only right half the time. To me, regardless of what the, the weather the weather was, I'm a big believer. If you're going to do it, do it right. Make sure that all 100 pennies of that dollar are working for you, not 75 of them. Would you expect Roundup to kill barnyard grass that's waist high and got 20 tillers on it? Absolutely not. We're in the same area i mean this these plant a lot of these plants have been up for six months well they've been through a lot of weather cycling they're really big even though they're not waist high like i described with barnyard grass the hard part to capture is weed control has now become a 365 day a year situation because if you miss something on the front end you're dealing with it now that's a great point tom on the fall application the data that you referenced, Daniel, and, and certainly flattered that you use information that we produce to try to help guys in Louisiana. But there's a another layer to the fall part of that. So the fall application of the herbicide for sure. But then there's also, there were treatments in there that were fall tillage. And the conclusion was to approach 100% control of ryegrass on pick a date, March 15th, requires two herbicide applications. So that could be a application of a residual in the fall followed by either clethodim in the wintertime or paraquat a little bit later to control plants that escape that fall application. Or you can terminate the first flush in the fall. So say behind a soybean harvest, Maybe the tillage has to be a little bit later in order to control the first flush of ryegrass. That would be dictated by when the emergence begins in the fall. But if that first flush is terminated with the tillage, then the two spring applications in order to get to the same place. So you mentioned guys not wanting to do the fall application. Well, in that plan there, and I won't say that I had forethought of that, uh, when we wrote all those treatments out, but it fits that scenario. Hey, this you know fall residual doesn't work for this guy because of ABC. Here's an option. 
you said most of the ground is going to get worked at some point anyway, so that fits into that, I guess, that channel of production practices. Just thinking out loud, you really have to consider that Italian ryegrass doesn't necessarily affect every field on every farm. There are some places where it's worse than others. And is there a general thought process behind that trend? Because when we talked about this before we started, how has managing weeds on row sides with herbicides instead of mowing impacted what could end up in farm fields? It comes from a lot of different places. And on that previous episode, Tom, you all talked about populations uh, and the difference in the populations across the Delta. But you can drive down a lot of roads in the Delta for a lot of years in the side of the field that's adjacent to the U.S. Highway, State Highway, County Road, has ryegrass in it. The field opposite the public road doesn't. So you can make your own assessment of where it comes from. Now, what you can also see is streaks of ryegrass across a field. Ryegrass has notoriously stiff straw, so it does, and it doesn't shatter terribly bad so a plant that heads and produces seed in may or june in a soybean field just say it's a a few plants chances are and i've got pictures of this that when the combine hits that ryegrass plant and then spread the seed that way or it can be tillage you know we can spread it certainly spread it with tillage equipment as well but when you see those streaks it probably migrated into the field from the roadside or adjacent ditch, whatever, and then it got streaked across the field through whatever means, whether it was harvest equipment or tillage equipment. I'll say this, too, and this is really in support of what Jason said because it's what I've witnessed. The guys who recognize, the farmers in Louisiana that I talked to and worked with, who have recognized that hey, I've got a ryegrass problem in this ditch or on this turn road, who performed their tillage, were careful to make sure their equipment was clean so they didn't drag it across the field, and then they would ring their field with a residual herbicide. And that I've seen photos out of Mississippi that happened a lot, had been successful at managing ryegrass. The guys who broadcast the entire field with a residual herbicide in the fall are reporting to me that they don't have a ryegrass problem. The fields where they did not use a residual, they have a ryegrass problem. So, Jason, you referenced your data. It's a two-step. Right. What I'm seeing out in the field is the first step must be a residual in the fall. Guys are seeing sufficient control and it's it may be one or two that's out there i'm sure it is you and i both know and tom knows you never get 100 percent control of anything but it's nowhere near at the density of where they didn't they didn't use it i mentioned that tillage option and it's definitely an option but i mean you're saying that the residual herbicide is better and it absolutely is i mean if you go back and look at those numbers that we had from that work the rating prior to the wintertime application of clethodim going out, of course, the control with the residual herbicide in the fall is three times as good as the control with that tillage because you had some come up after the tillage, but you controlled some of it. 
But what I'll say to the residual herbicide and just to, to back up what you're saying, just like with any other weed, the easiest time to kill a weed is before it ever comes out of the ground. So residual yep. herbicides most often are, are going to make you happier than trying to kill it after it comes up. And then your tillage treatment was a, was a, a two-pass of a disc arrow, correct? That's right. How many guys are running a two-pass? It would be a, a disc and a hipper or something like that. Yeah, or just a hipper. Right. You and I both know hipper don't do does not destroy weed seed very well or no. weeds very well. The delta till is what I call it. It's a harvest rehip, the delta till, which is not necessarily a no till situation, but it's about as minimal tillage as you get in this part of the world. That's done a lot in the northeast part of the state. So what you guys do in the delta, the northeast part of the state, Louisiana, and a good chunk of the central part of the state are that way. All right, now in the season and you have corn up and you still have ryegrass that either escaped your burn down application the burn down application didn't work you didn't do a burn down application what do you do if you have corn in the field what's your in-season treatment right now how much ryegrass is there i i don't know hypothetically speaking in some of the situations that we've driven by in some of these fields a lot then nothing. If you told me it was 15 clumps, I was going to tell you to get a shovel and a bucket. There's really not an option, Tom. The closest thing to a possibility of controlling it would be anything with nicosulfuron. So nicosulfuron is ALS herbicide. Most people know it as Accent. There's still Accent. I think that trade name is still manufactured by someone, but uh, it's also sold as Stout. It's a component of steadfast, which is the more modern formulation. That's a possibility if the population that you're working with in the field is not ALS resistant, and a lot of ours are and have been for quite a while. We've had ALS resistance going back to the 90s in ryegrass, so it's not a new phenomenon. For example, PowerFlex and Osprey relatively or new-ish wheat herbicides that are ALS inhibitors never got a lot of play for us because all our ryegrass was resistant to those herbicides or the mode of action that represented by those herbicides before they were ever even sold. Yeah, there was a, there was a former wheat scientist with the, with the Ag Center who told me when I was at first come on that don't expect uh, PowerFlex or Osprey to work north of I-20. And I asked him why. He said because a lot of those parishes would use an ALS inhibitor for chemical mowing on the roadsides. So that's generally low dose. And um, they're just exacerbated. We all know what low dose does. I can't fault the parish to do it. It's cheaper than running a bush hog and mowing the roadsides. Now, what about in situations where somebody's switched their planting intentions? They missed the window on planting their corn. It rained. Now that cornfield with a ryegrass issue in it is a soybean field. What's your best bet for those farmers from a herbicide standpoint to manage the ryegrass? Not many more options in soybeans, or and you can put cotton along with it, than we have for corn, Tom. Clethodem is going to be the treatment that's going to go out. But, I mean, you now you're talking about clethodem. And emerged soybeans, so we're going to be later on the calendar, and we've already gone through 
the size and the performance of those based on the size of ryegrass. So really that's just a revenge killing and you're not even killing it. It's a revenge treatment. You're, you're just not going to control those plants that are out there at this point. We've talked about the supply problems and the herbicide that kind of started us talking about that 12 months ago or approximately 12 months ago was Liberty. Liberty's an option. I rated some Liberty plots the other day on some ryegrass, did a decent job of desiccating it in an extend flex soybean. That would be an option, of course, in extend flex cotton as well. But at this point, the damage is done. What you're really shooting for now is to prevent that plant from making seed and you're trying to beat the problem down for next year and the year after. I made light of your comment about the the shovel in the bucket, but unfortunately, that's the reality. That's the best way you're going to be able to and actually kill it at this we point. talked about that before we started recording because I remember sending you a picture from several years ago, somebody on Highway 61 doing that, I've shovel in it. a bucket, dumping it in the bed of a pickup truck. I've seen it several times over the years, which obviously is not efficient nor doesn't cash flow well either. So in your situation, Tom, with the going into soybeans or cotton, what I'm I'm telling guys now is, is you're not going to get rid of the biomass, so you're going to get some sort of physical competition with either soybeans or cotton that you, you plant. That that's that's going to happen unless you do the shovel in the bucket that Jason described. And I'm sure all three of us have seen how reduced soybean emergence when it is adjacent to a ryegrass plant. About the other side, so if it's if it's as enough as as enough of it, you could reduce the sand. Now, soybeans generally they're they're tough. I mean, they'll branch, and you may not see a huge yield reduction from it, but you will see a stand reduction more than likely. So, planting them, and Jason was very eloquent, and essentially what to the listeners what he said was, planting them ain't gonna work like this. When it's reproductive, it's it's not. It's just not. So to me, you just got to desiccate that plant and prevent seed production, like Jason said. And really it comes down to, to, to a paraquat metribuzin, a paraquat direx type treatment just to try to fry the ryegrass. Mark on a field map, because I, I walk a lot of soybean fields later in the season and see some dried up ryegrass plants with seed on them. Yep. Mark it, make a note, plan on doing something different in that particular field situation moving forward. And that's, you know, a lot of times that's spur of the moment, but have a plan for that field for the fall of 2022. You know, we've mentioned on here, Tom, several times the yield reduction in corn with from competition with ryegrass, and it's definitely severe. I went and looked up some data and the number I found was uh, 18% yield reduction for each additional ryegrass plant per meter of row. The number I've had is the return on investment number, which is 13 to 1, quoted on here several times. When that same work that we did for soybeans, we didn't really capture a yield reduction, and that's what Daniel said as well. But we did catch a delay in maturity and a pretty significant delay in maturity. So where you have those patches of ryegrass in the field, and then you described seeing later in the season still being there, then you get into those unfortunate situations. Assuming the field hadn't been desiccated, you got to cut around these patches, and and then 
may not influence your yield, but it delayed your maturity. So then it messed up your harvest logistics. So that definitely factors into the farm management as well. You may not even just end up with a delayed maturity. You may end up with a seed that doesn't even get in the planted furrow because you're bouncing across that big old clumpy weed that's got a big old thick, nasty root on it and tons of tillers and all the rest of that. That's a physics issue. I think that's definitely influences corn. Corn likes even spacing. It likes even depth. It definitely influences leaf orientation of the corn. If those leaves are you know, adjacent plants in a row, in a row foot, if those leaves are overlapping, then you know, they're not receiving the full amount of sunlight. I mean, they're, they're, then they're competing intra-specific competition. So you've got the inter-specific between the two species, the ryegrass and the corn, and then because leaf, leaf orients, the plant orients leaves away from the ryegrass competition, then you can have overlapping of the corn leaves. And then that's inefficient use for photosynthesis. Explain to us, Daniel, the relatedness between Assure and Clethodim as herbicides and how that factors into managing ryegrass. Assure is, is a FOP. And it's a that's a really short that's a short name for a really long chemical chemistry, and then the clethodim is a dim. So they're two different molecular structures. They both have the same mode of action, meaning they both are ACCase inhibitors. But where they do that work inside the plant, the site of their action is different. When you have resistance to a particular mode of action, you could have some differences because the resistance mechanism could be at the site. So if the ryegrass is resistant to clethodim, it could be at the site where clethodim binds and does its work, but not where Assure binds and does it work. So if you've got resistance at both sites, it's called cross-resistance. If Assure works, the clethodim doesn't, that is quite possible, but it is also possible that it'd be resistant to both of them. So you can have just a resistance mechanism. What has happened in Louisiana this year is due to the shortage of clefidem, producers have turned to Assure. Assure's label, as I understand it, from a size of ryegrass standpoint, reads almost identical to clefidem. So our growers used to sure really not tank mixing with the other burn down because they've already tried that and it didn't work. They it's a cleanup shot and ryegrass is neatol and multi multi tillered beginning to go into reproductive phase. They're using rates in like one to ten, so twelve point eight ounces, which is about the rate of assure that you'll use to control annual grasses. And they're seeing failures. So the first point is say resistance. I have resistance. Okay. Has clefidem worked for you in the past? Yes or no? And you go through that. But what I want to bring everybody back to before we even go down the road of resistance was how big was the ryegrass at the time that you applied the herbicide to it? And if it was if it violated the label, if it was bigger than the label, if it's as big as we're spraying it on now, what 
you almost should have expected failures. So I've, you know, I've seen pictures, oh, you know, you know, two ryegrass plants look like they're of equal size of application. One's dead and, and one foot away, the other one's not. So those are some indications of potential resistance. But you still have to come back to when you applied it because when weed scientists go through the rate titration process of trying to confirm or refute resistance, we're going to be applying these herbicides to two to three inch ryegrass. And if it survives that, then oh yeah, we got an issue. But more times than not, I've found you kill it. But the times that I've, that not just particular ryegrass, but other weed species, I control it with herbicide at the rate that failed in the field. And it's because of the size of the weed at application. I'm not ready to say that the ryegrass in Louisiana is resistant to Assure. I'm not necessarily ready to say that the ryegrass in Louisiana is resistant to Clefidem because we're still we're still working to get that information. I know it's there in Mississippi. I know it makes sense that it's going to be here in Louisiana. But from a practical, take all that resistance stuff and set it on the side. Does it work or does it not? If it didn't work, why did it not work? And oftentimes I come back that whatever your target was, was too big in the first place. I think your last point is probably one of the more important to make is that that label has a specific height for a reason. And that's where the most activity would expect to occur. And anything greater than that, the herbicide may not be effective. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty simple take from a, from a silly plant pathology perspective. I've told the folks here on this, on this podcast, and I've been a guest, my family farms, not in the Delta of Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, but in Alabama, it's a completely different world. But I can put myself in their place. I can't completely empathize because I'm not spending their money. But I can put myself in their place, and if I've got a field that's infested with big ryegrass and I've got to do something, I can kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing. 100%, yeah. They, they, they don't make it right. So that's one of the things I had hoped to come out of, of this podcast is the situation these guys are in right now just, quote, you know, for lack of a better term, just breaks my heart because I know their, their back's against the wall. I'm just trying to advise them and help them you know, going forward. Let's just weed science fundamentals. Let's just practice good, solid fundamentals, right rates, right timings, right water, so on and so forth. And then don't forget what happened to you in March and April of 2022 when it rolled around to October, November of 2022. Hey, you know, when we, before we started, you said you want to just do a quick podcast. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do that. <laughs> Daniel, we appreciate it, man. That was a lot of information. To our listeners, I mean, this is a complicated deal, and I think it's every year is different with ryegrass. And if we can do anything to help, can't change the situation all that much, but help the folks talk through the challenges that they're going through, you know, we're more than happy to do that. Certainly important information. I do uh, appreciate the opportunity. Forgive me for my passion, but I am passionate about trying to help help our growers. You don't need to be forgiven for that, yeah, man. That's, no, what, man. that's what we do. That's what we're here for. 
The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 